Let's open our Bibles one more time to Ephesians as we finish our year-long study of this wonderful epistle and its 155 verses. Ephesians 6 concludes this letter, but that doesn't mean we should not keep reading it and studying it and, by God's grace, living it. How would he end this? Paul ends on an important part of the Christian life, prayer. Verse 18, he has already talked about our fight against the devil and the evil fallen angels called demons. And then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So he doesn't start a new topic, he links it with what he just said, meaning this. In order to successfully resist the devil, we have to call upon God's help in prayer. Satan hates prayer. So to stand against the devil, we have to kneel before God for help because Satan's greater than we are, but he's not greater than Jesus. A hymn that we don't sing much has these words. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Why? Because he knows we're tapping into God's power and God's resources. So pray always with all prayer. Notice the word all. What he means is all kinds of prayer. We tend to drift toward one or another, but let's keep the balance, kind of like on the piano, the 88 keys, hit them all, including the black ones. What are the different kinds of prayer? Well, first off, we use the analogy of the, of the piano. Let's start with the low notes. Confession. Repentance. Without excuse. We sin every day. We should repent and confess every day. And that includes receiving fresh washing of our sins, the renewal of our faith, and the reestablishment of our fellowship with God. When we sin, it's like God says, don't talk to me until you confess your sin and repent of it. So let's start with the low notes. Then let's go up a little bit higher on the scale of the piano of prayer. After we say, Lord, I have sinned, we say, Lord, help me. Supply me with the things that I need. Look at the text. It's called supplication. And then we move up to other ones, intercession. So supplication means, Lord, supply me with what I need. I need your grace, I need help, I need guidance, I need strength. Pray that God would supply us that which we need. It's like when you go to the grocery store, you stock up on supplies, or if you're in the army, you're on maneuvers, you go to the quartermaster and he gives you various things like extra ammunition. May the Lord supply you your needs and you have to ask for them. Go up a little bit higher on the piano, now you come to what's called intercession. Supplication is when you pray for your needs. Intercession is when you pray for the needs of other people. You intercede, you mediate for them, you, you pray for them. What does that mean? Well, what do you pray for for your friends, your relatives? You pray that they would, God would save them if they're not saved, and if they are saved, Pray for their health, pray for their sanctification, for God's guidance, for God's protection. 
I like to say use the golden rule of prayer. You know what the golden rule is. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Okay? Pray for others as you would want them to pray for you. What do you want to be prayed for? And isn't it good to know someone's praying for you? Jesus said go and do likewise. Pray for other people. Intercede for them. For example, we have a prayer list and we have a prayer meeting. And then from time to time, I'll remind us, pray for the anonymous needs of the church. What's that? Needs that maybe only God knows, or perhaps that person has shared it with me and said, no, don't tell anybody else, but I really need prayer. We can pray for other people without knowing the specifics because we know everybody needs prayer. It helps to know sometimes specifically what the need is. But I like to say, Throw the prayer over the fence. You don't know who's over there and what the need is, but God knows, and he'll redirect that prayer because don't you sometimes have a need that's very personal and maybe delicate, and you say, I want only God to know, and maybe the pastor and the elders, but not anybody else. God knows how to redirect it to you, so you pray for others as well. Pray for the supplies for yourself and for other people. James 3 says... Let me paraphrase it. Pray for needs, not greeds. What he says in James chapter 3 is this. You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss for the things you want that you would misuse. So pray for needs, not greeds. In other words, what you need to get on and not just what you want, a little extra. Sometimes God does give us that extra. Notice another key word in this verse. Always. Keep on praying. Don't give up. Keep interceding. You may be praying for a lost loved one for weeks, years, decades. Keep on praying. You might be just one prayer away from having that prayer answered. So just keep on praying. And of course, the devil's going to try to stop you. He's going to say, well, you've prayed enough. No, keep praying. Praying always here. And maybe you have a special need. A health need, financial need, personal need, and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed, keep on praying. Remember, Jesus said, knock and the door will be open to you. Knock. Bang on that door over and over and over again because Jesus said that in conjunction with a parable. He said, once upon a time there was a woman that needed justice. She had an enemy that had taken advantage of her, and so she goes to the judge and says, I want justice. You're a judge. And he'd say, go away, lady. And she'd find where he lived, and she'd bang on the door at night, give me justice. Wake up in there. This man has mistreated me. He's broken the law. And Jesus said, that judge that doesn't really care about the woman he wants to have a good night's sleep, so he's going to say, okay, woman, I'll see to it tomorrow morning. Don't come and bang on my door anymore. And then Jesus said, your heavenly Father's going to hear you. He's not an unjust judge, but the lesson is keep praying, keep knocking on the door, ask. And so he uses the tense of the verb, knock and keep on knocking, ask and keep on asking. Paul says praying always. Keep on praying. Every day. Do you pray every day? Have a special time of prayer, perhaps at breakfast as you're meeting with the family for devotions, or perhaps late at night before you go to sleep. 
pray. Always, it says here. Now, he's not saying the Muslim practice where five times a day they have to kneel on the ground and face Mecca, whichever direction that is. The Bible doesn't say it has to be five times a day. It might be more than five times a day. But try to pray regularly. Now, you know we have the prayer list and we have prayer alerts for an important emergency. And we have the prayer meeting on Wednesday. Let me again invite you to come on Wednesday night from 7 to 8. We go over the prayer list, we add new needs, and we pray for one another. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I know that most of you are not able to make it out. You've had a long day at work, or you have family time, or other such things. That's why the elders and I encourage you, if you can't make it for that sweet hour of prayer on Wednesday, please set aside an hour in your week some other time to pray for the needs of our church. Set aside an hour. Why do I say an hour? In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and he came and saw his disciples sleeping. And he said to them, could you not have prayed even one hour? I find that very challenging and humbling. Nobody was more busy in the work of the Lord than Martin Luther and John Wesley, but did you know they both prayed two hours every day? Heard about a preacher once that was very busy and early in the morning. He looked at all of his appointments and all the visits and sermon preparation. He said, I can't possibly fit all this in. I better pray an extra hour. He knew the value of prayer. Praying always. Notice it says also pray with all prayer and supplication <coughs> in the Spirit. Jude 20 says praying in the Holy Spirit. Now let me show you where Paul explains this a little further. So turn over to the book of Romans chapter 8. Helps to cross-reference elsewhere in the Bible that gives a little bit more light on certain passages. What does he mean praying in the Spirit? Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What he means is we don't know, always know what we should pray for, how we should pray, kind of like those anonymous needs over the fence, or maybe we're a young Christian and we stumble over our words and we try to sound eloquent and theologically precise, but we don't know enough about how to pray. And we, I remember hearing one man that got saved out of a very rough background and he really never prayed and he comes to the prayer meeting, everybody's praying and he just said, well, Hello, God, this is Joe. And it's kind of like he's talking on the phone. This is me. You remember me, God. You saved me a few weeks ago. And uh, Lord, I need your help. And he didn't know how to close by saying in Jesus' name. He just said, well, that's all for now, God. Goodbye. Click. God knows what we mean. And he helps us. The Holy Spirit translates our feeble prayers in such a way that when he edits them, they reach God's heart perfect. God loves to hear us prayer, even when we stumble over our words. That's okay.
keep praying. The Holy Spirit helps us because we don't know what to pray or how to pray. And it says he makes intercession for us. He takes our prayers, brings them up to the Father, so we pray in the Spirit and in the name of Jesus to the Father. Thank God for this Spirit. Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour out on you the Spirit of prayer. He reminds us what to pray for. He helps us when we're cold or tired or we don't know what to pray for. He also helps us in the varieties of prayer. When we need to confess sin, the Holy Spirit touches our conscience. He reminds us. You remember early the scripture reading. David said, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. So you need to wash your heart out with the blood of Christ Confess, the Holy Spirit will touch our conscience so that now our prayers will not be hindered. By the way, there's an application in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, husbands, and that includes all men here, it says, live with your wives patiently with understanding, lest your prayers be hindered. If you mistreat your wife, if you haven't apologized to her and you go to God in prayer, God's going to say, I can't hear you over your wife's prayers and weeping and tears you better get right with me and then I will hear your prayers you go and apologize to your wife lest your prayers be hindered he says also here being watchful Jesus said watch and pray remember he said that to the disciples that had fallen asleep he woke them up and said watch and pray sometimes that's been misused when I was at Bible college, we had a little, not a ritual, but when we'd sit down at the table to eat and the other guys, some said, well, okay, who's going to lead us in prayer? And maybe it'd be Sam or maybe it'd be Bobby. And we'd pray. And the joke was when Sam or Bobby is leading in prayer, someone reaches over and takes his hot dog. And then uh, he says, hey, who stole my dog? And we said, well, Jesus said, watch and pray. Should have kept your eyes open. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Be watchful, be on the alert. First Peter says, be on the alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Has this ever happened to you when you're praying? Satan shoots a temptation through your mind. And you say, how could I think of that? Is because Satan is trying to stop you from praying. He doesn't want you to pray. Be watchful. Be on the alert. What does Paul say next? Look at verse 19. He says, also pray for me. The apostle Paul asked them to pray for him. We should pray for our preachers, our leaders, our elders, our family. Pray for your friends. Pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for political leaders. They sure need it. Jesus said pray for your enemies. Pray for our missionaries. Who do you pray for? Parents, pray for your children earnestly every day. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would protect them from temptation and from the evils of the world. Pray for yourself. Who do you pray for? I'll tell you a little preacher's secret. I like to listen to people when they pray. It tells me a lot about the state of their heart. What does it tell me when I listen to your prayers? 
Listen to your prayers. What do you pray for? Do you pray in a cold way or fervently? It says in the book of James, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Pray for me, Paul said. And what did Paul ask them to pray for? He says, pray that utterance may be given to me that I might speak boldly as I ought. Paul is called to preach the gospel. And so he says, pray for me that God would help me to preach boldly even in the face of danger. Pray for God to give you opportunities to tell someone the gospel. Might be someone at the laundromat, might be a friend, a relative, a neighbor. <laughs> someone at school. Pray for God to give you opportunities and to give you the courage and love to tell them the gospel. Paul says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador. Now that primarily applies to the apostles that were the special representatives of the Lord Jesus. But in another way, it applies to all of us. We're all ambassadors for Jesus. We're to carry the message without adding to it or subtracting from it, not giving our opinions you're an ambassador for Christ. And I've said it many times before, you might be the only Christian that your friends know. Have you told them the gospel? And be available in case they want to come and talk. We're ambassadors. Now, we often pray for our wise man from the East that serves God in a missionary way in different parts of the world, and especially in the Middle East. That's where he is now. Let me relate a story about him. You know that he uh, is from the Middle East, but I met him in Dallas. He comes and visits us once a year. And uh, he studied over in England, and he got a PhD from a little college called Cambridge. And it was in New Testament. And then he decided to earn a second doctorate at a little place called Oxford. Wow. Well, when he was called forth to receive the diploma at Oxford, I mean, that's up at the very tip-top of the mountain of academia. The dean of the university wanted to honor him, so he says, Mr. Such-and-Such, come up here. And he says, I understand you, you got a doctorate from the other place. By the way, that's the way Oxford and Cambridge referred to each other, the other place. And he says, you received one over there, and, and we we're, we're want to give you this one, and... Uh, a second doctorate. We're very honored. We don't have many people get two doctorates. Um, and we understand you're from a, an unusual part of the world. We've had students from there. What, what will you plan to do now? And our brother prayed very quickly and said, uh, I am an ambassador. He says, oh, well, we've had graduates here become diplomats and uh, members of parliament and United States Congress. And uh, uh, what kind of ambassador will you be? And our brother said before these hundreds of dignified men and women, he said, I am an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you could have heard a pin drop. That took courage for him to say it. How about when you witness to someone, you're going to get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like maybe I should opt out of this. No, take courage and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus, and I'd like to tell you about him. Be an ambassador. It wasn't easy for Paul. Look at the verse. He says, I am in chains. He mentioned that earlier in chapter 3. He had been arrested. Now, he had been arrested twice. Well, actually, many times, but in Rome. First, he was put under house arrest where he had a certain freedom. Acts 28 says he could receive visitors. They could bring food, and he'd write letters, and they'd take them to other churches. 
He's put on trial and he was let loose. They found him not guilty. Ah, but he was arrested a second time. And this is probably when he was on trial. He was now in chains. You see, as a Roman citizen, he should not be in chains. But they wanted to make an example of him. And so they let him in chains to appear before Nero, the madman, the emperor. And Paul gave a good testimony before him that he believed in Jesus. And of course, that led to his execution. Paul was a man of courage. He says that I might speak boldly. There are some times when we can say, I'm going to say this, and I may or may not get a good reception, but there's sometimes you're going to share the gospel with someone, and you know they're not going to want to hear it. Just ask Dell and Josh and the others to go witness, not just up in Chicago and colleges, when they go to the gay pride parade down in St. Louis every year, they get hostile reactions. People spit at them, curse at them. One day they'll be physically assaulted. But our men and occasionally women go there and they speak boldly as they ought to. Brethren, it takes courage. Pray for courage. Let me read you a story. Some of you have heard of the great man of God, Richard Wormbrand. Who was that? He was a very godly, evangelical Lutheran pastor many years ago in Romania during the days of hardcore communism under Ceausescu. Richard Wormbrand was beaten hundreds of times. He was literally tortured. He wrote a little book entitled Tortured for Christ. It'll move you. And he wrote this in that book when he was in prison for 14 years. He says, quote, It was strictly forbidden to preach to the other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. The following scene happened more times than I can remember. A brother was preaching to the other prisoners when the guards suddenly burst in, surprising him halfway through a phrase. They hauled him down the corridor to their beating room. After what seemed an endless beating, they brought him back and threw him bloody and bruised on the prison floor. Slowly he picked up his battered body, painfully straightened his clothing, and said, Now, brethren, where did I leave off when I was interrupted? And he continued his gospel message. I have seen beautiful things. Would we have such courage? Nobody's likely to beat us like they did Wormbrand, but it didn't stop him and the others. It shouldn't stop us. Satan wants to stop us from praying and from telling people the gospel. It's a shame when it's easy for us. Pray for courage. As Paul says here, pray for me that I might have utterance and speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now we come to verse 21. He says, But that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, 
that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Tetricus. Paul had at least a dozen assistants that would come to him and he'd send letters and they'd become the mailman or they'd help out. One was Dr. Luke who cared for Paul's physical ailments. Paul's closest assistant was Timothy and then there was Titus and Onesimus and many others. Tychicus would now be going out to the Ephesians with this very letter. He was Paul's mailman, as it were. And then he had come back to Paul and report how they were doing. So this is how things worked. They didn't have the internet and email back then. One of the purposes he sent them to them is because he had got words that they were going through persecution. So he says, Tychicus will comfort your hearts. Look at that. Don't just skip over that. They needed comfort. They needed encouragement. So do we. Sometimes more than others, and sometimes more than at other times. We need comfort. We're hurting. We're afraid. We're ill. We're getting a bad medical report. Or maybe we've just got a broken heart. And the tears flow like a waterfall. Some of you know just what I'm talking about. You're hurting. You want comfort. And sometimes you're so broken, even as an adult, all you can do is cry out, Mama, I miss my mama, but she's gone. Let me share with you a precious word on how God comforts us. Isaiah 66, 15, God says, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. He's the God of all comfort. He can comfort like nobody else in the world can. Yes, your family can comfort. I like to say when a man is really hurting, he needs his mother, he needs his wife or his daughter. When a woman is hurting, she needs her daddy, she needs her husband, she needs her son. We need some, let us be volunteers to be comforters. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. May he comfort others through us, like Tychicus. He knew how to pass on the comfort. Here's one secret. When you go to comfort someone, first pray on the way over there, Lord, give me a measure of comfort that I can pass on to that person. Family and friends. You've heard of comfort dogs and other comfort animals. When we did a nursing home ministry for 25 years, one of our assistants would bring a little white dog. It was a comfort dog. And he'd let the elderly there pet it and hold it. And you could just see in their face, this is comforting and very soothing. Thank God for comfort dogs. Maybe you've had a bad day at work and you sit down in your favorite chair and old Blue comes up and just puts his head right over your knee. And that's a comfort. But we need more than the comfort dog or even what other people can give us. We need the God of all comfort. And I'm here to tell you, he's there whenever you need him to comfort you. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. We're almost finished. Look at verse 23. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a variation on his usual opening blessings and closing benedictions. But look closely what he is doing. He says, peace be with you. Or in Hebrew, shalom. In Greek, erone. To the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And love, agape, with faith, pistis. He's wishing them. 
he is, as it were, conferring a blessing on them. We find that in the Bible. Jesus said, bless and don't curse people. Give them a blessing. Parents are to bless their children. We find examples. Abraham with his son Isaac, Isaac with his sons, Jacob and Esau, Jacob with his 12 sons and his daughter. Do you fathers bless your children? Take them aside and say, I'm giving you God's blessing. Here, Joey, and put your hands on his head. Or Susie, may the Lord bless and keep you. Visit the sick. Visit your parents when they're elderly and give them God's blessing. It's more than simply saying, well, God bless you. I wish you'd get better. No, step forward and put your hands and say, Lord, bless this person. But how do you do this? Don't just say, God bless you, and they sneeze. Do you know how to confer a blessing on someone? For example, at the end of every Sunday morning service and every Sunday night, I close with a benediction. You close your eyes and I lift my hands and I say, may the Lord bless and keep you and so forth. And I word it in various ways. There are various ways to do this. I have sent thousands of letters to prison inmates and every one ends with a personal blessing. Did you know that? And I'm not just repeating a verse from the Bible. I'll say things like, Joe, may the Lord fill your heart with his love when you really need it. Or on rainy days, may he shine the sunshine of his love into your heart. And I'll say this, many of them have said that brought them to tears that you would give a blessing to me whom you've never met. You go and do likewise. Not just at Christmas saying God bless you at Christmas, but on an email, when you send an email to someone, say something like, may God bless you with peace. May he bless your family. May he draw close to you. May he hide you under the shadow of his wings. They just may appreciate that. I remember once I was visiting someone in the hospital, and there was a nurse there that I could tell had had a pretty bad day. By the way, pray for nurses. They don't often get thanked. So I said to her, I said, let me hold your hands. And she said, what I said, these hands are God's hands. You're doing God's work. I said, God bless you. And I was just very quickly, I said, Lord, bless these hands and bless the heart as she takes care of all these patients. And she had never heard anything like that. Didn't say anything. A year later, I was back in the hospital, and that nurse came running up to me, and she says, oh, preacher. And she grabbed my hands. She said, when you prayed for me that day, that was such a blessing. I get yelled at, get cursed at, rarely get thanked, but you gave me a blessing. You go and do likewise. Bless your doctor, nurses, other people, and mean it. Lastly, he says here, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He says in sincerity because there's some people that only say they love Jesus, but they don't really mean it. Do you mean it, brethren, when you sing hymns like, My Jesus, I love thee. If ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. Do you mean it? When you sing Amazing Grace or when we sang earlier about the love of God being bigger than the sky, do you really mean it or is it just empty words? If you don't mean it, don't sing it, or you're bearing false witness. Love him in sincerity. When you pray, and we've talked about the scale, and it ends up you're hitting the high notes of worship, 
take time also in your prayers to commune with Jesus in love. What does that mean? Receive his love and return it back to him with love and say, Jesus, I love you. I know I'm going through a trial and I don't understand this, but Lord Jesus, I know you love me and Lord, I love you too. You parents like to hear your children say, Mama, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Husbands and wives love to say it and hear it. Don't you know God loves to hear us say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Say it and mean it. It says here, insincerity. That means from the heart. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. But blessed are those that do sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. And so we end our year-long series on the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, and it's also God's epistle to us. How do we close it? Look at the word, Amen. Let it be. It is so. And since we've been talking about prayer, let us pray. Father, thank you for teaching us about prayer and giving us the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. Help us to speak your word boldly to those that need to hear it. Give us courage. Give us humility. Give us love. Father, thank you that you really do love us. Help us to love you in sincerity. In Jesus' name, amen.